Welcome to Healthy by Choice, a broadcast designed to bring powerful healing into your life today. Gaining and maintaining optimum health is possible at any age. That's what thousands are learning at CHIP, the complete health improvement program offered across the country and around the world. You can learn more at chiphealth.com. But now, get ready to enjoy some proven results and priceless benefits. I'm your Healthy by Choice host, Charles Mills. Diabetes is nothing to take lightly. It can be debilitating and deadly, so a working understanding of the disease is essential. That's what we want to provide for you today. Education is power, and when it comes to health, it can also be healing. Our guest recently spoke on the subject of diabetes at a CHIP summit in Arizona, and I've invited him to spend some time with us today to talk about the disease and how we can, in many cases, effectively stop it in its tracks. Dr. Wayne Dysinger works for Loma Linda University and is also medical director of the Complete Health Improvement Program. Dr. Dysinger, welcome to Healthy by Choice. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let's talk cause and effect, Dr. Dysinger. Diabetes. This is a rather recent epidemic. Where did it come from? As we look at the size of the epidemic, it's estimated that there's about 26 million diabetics in the U.S. right now, Mm -hmm. and as many as 366 million diabetics worldwide. It definitely is an epidemic because just as as recently as a few decades ago, that, that number was about 1 million uh, diabetics in the U.S. So it's, it's increased 24, 25, uh, 26 times uh, over the last uh, few decades. So, so it's, a, it's a huge epidemic, and we don't know for sure where it's coming from. Um, there is a lot of uh, ideas, a lot of thoughts. Most scientists who spend uh, significant time on this feel that it's primarily a foodborne epidemic. Uh-huh. And not food borne the way um, an E. coli epidemic or something like that may be borne, but uh, food borne meaning that uh, it's the choices that we make as far as what we eat that is leading to this diabetes epidemic. Well, that would sort of make an assumption that there are areas in the world where diet is different. Are there places where this epidemic is not happening? And are these places eating differently than we are where the epidemic is happening? Right. You know, at, at some level that is true. There's a, a fascinating study that was done looking at the Pima Indians. Mm-hmm. This is a group of, uh, of Indians that live in the southwest U.S. as well as in Mexico. And uh, over the years, as, as the U.S. and Mexico became separate countries, there, there became the American Pima Indians and the Mexican Pima Indians. And uh, it's fascinating that those who lived in the U.S. or who, who currently live in the U.S., their diabetes rates were significantly higher than the diabetes rates for the Pima Indians that live in Mexico. In fact, the numbers specifically are uh, those on an American or a standard American diet had a 36% diabetes rate, whereas those living in Mexico had less than 7% wow. Uh, wow. diabetes incident rate. So. Those kinds of studies would definitely make you believe that food is a, is a huge component. Of course, you could say that maybe there's more stress, maybe there's uh, less physical activity for the American group of, of Pima Indians as well. But uh, I think the biggest obvious difference is the kind of food that they're eating. 
So you're making a, a statement here that lifestyle medicine, and that includes how we take care of ourselves, does play a role in whether we get diabetes and how long we have diabetes. Would I be right in saying that? Yes, and we we don't know all the different causes of diabetes, um, but it it certainly seems like food is is a major factor and probably the the biggest factor. And just the fact that there's been this dramatic increase in diabetes yes. um, during the same time frame that we've developed more and more processed foods in the U.S. and the fact that people who people with the same genetic background, such as the Pima Indians who eat more processed foods uh, tend to have much higher diabetes rates. It, it, it makes us think that diabetes is something that doesn't need to happen. If, if we just ate more naturally the, the way our forefathers ate, um, we wouldn't have the epidemic of, of diabetes that we have right now. Now, processed foods, what exactly does processing of foods... Now, explain to me what processed foods are as opposed to uh, an unprocessed food. What is it about the processing that affects us in such a way that makes diabetes possible in many people? You know, we look at processing from a variety of different perspectives, but I'll, I'll tell you what I share with my patients. Yes. Um, I share the, the story of an apple. And, and my definition of processed food is anything that's different from food as grown. Hmm. So if, if we look at the apple, um, if I bite into an apple... I'm eating that food the way it was grown. So I can know exactly what's happened to that or pretty close to exactly what's happened to that from when it was grown on the tree to uh-huh. when it's going into my mouth uh-huh. because basically it's perhaps been clean but, but likely not a whole lot more. So, so that would be an unprocessed food, eating that apple. If I eat applesauce, there's been something that's happened uh, between the apple and the applesauce. And I can make guesses, but I don't know for sure what's happened. And, you know, I can go on to apple juice, and then I can go on to to apple pie, and, and I can go on to, you know, other kinds of ways that apples have been processed. But the bottom line is the further you get away from the food as grown, the more processed it is. And, you know, what, what happens is when a food's processed, you're taking away a lot of the work that the body does to to use that food so you're maybe decreasing some of the fiber in it you're making some of the sugars more available and then you start adding in uh in a lot of the foods that we eat now say uh, a apple pop tart you're you're adding in a lot of other chemicals that are there to give it a particular color or a particular flavor or particular texture um, a particular ability to last on a shelf for a long period of time. And very soon, I think it really moves out of the category of food. So it's, it's really a, a chemical mixture that we're eating that we call food and that we use as we used to use food, but is, is really not even food. It's, it's a manufactured product. And that's obviously the, the far end of processed food. And on the near end is simply moving something from an apple to an applesauce. <laughs> Now, it sounds like you're telling me that from a medical standpoint, from a physiology standpoint, our bodies treat the apple different than it does the apple Pop-Tart, that there is some kind of disconnect that happens when we take a food, a natural food, and process it to the point of making a pie or sauce or a tart that is not present when we eat the apple raw. Am I on the right track here? That's exactly right. And if, if you just think of 
what is easier to do, eat an apple or eat applesauce? And it's obviously easier to eat applesauce. And the breakdown of, of that food affects the body. It, if, if you just look at a, a simple um, graph of blood sugar, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, if you eat an apple, uh, because there's good fiber content, you're going to eat it a little slower because you have to chew every single bite, your blood sugar will rise relatively slowly in response to eating that apple, and then it will drop relatively slowly. If you start uh, processing the food, that blood sugar will will end up rising very fast, and then it will likely drop very fast, and you get a whole series of biochemical reactions that is more confusing to the body. Our, our body loves balance, so it, it loves things that come at it in sort of a gradual way um, so that it can sort of respond to them in a, in a healthy manner. And processed food tend to bring a lot more calories, a, a lot more rapid changes to the body, and in many cases, uh, chemicals that our body is probably not, not very happy about. Now, we're talking about diabetes in particular here, but it sounds like what you're saying would be affecting other areas of the body. Are we talking heart? Are we talking mind? Are we talking muscles and liver and kidney here? Does this processing of food have an effect on other areas of the body as well as creating diabetes in us? Likely so. And an example of that would be the current gluten-free epidemic that's going across the United States right now. There's more and more people that are trying to stay away from gluten. And when you look at what gluten is, gluten is actually a wheat product, but it's a processed wheat product. So uh, the only wheat product that is not really processed is wheat berries. Um, And hardly anybody eats wheat berries. A, A few people may... Uh, cook them in a crock pot and have them for cereal in the morning. But most of the wheat that we're exposed to is is highly processed. One of the reasons why the gluten-free movement is working well is it's taking a lot of that processed food out of people. Mm-hmm. And, and gluten-free is used to help people with GI issues. It's used to help people with thyroid issues. It's used to help a variety of different issues. But, of course, what we as a society are doing is are now getting a lot of processed gluten-free yes, um, yes. chemical, or, yes. or some people would call them food products that are yeah. out there. So, so that's uh, the whole value of the gluten-free epidemic is actually getting undermined by gluten-free processed products coming there. But yes, uh, this is likely associated with a variety of chronic diseases that are occurring in the U.S. and around the world. Hmm. So when we mess with food we cause a problem. So then we say, all right, we're going to fix it by messing with it more. We're going to, we're going to make a gluten-free food, but to make that palatable to some, we're going, to, we're going to add these chemicals and the sugars and whatnot, and we're going, to make, we're going to call it gluten-free. So it's like jumping from the pot into the fire, sounds like you're saying. That's exactly right. And, and you know, the, the food manufacturers, if you look at the food that goes into our mouth, unfortunately, much of that comes from a processing plant or, or a manufacturing plant. Much of the food that enters our mouth does not come from a farm or a garden. And the, the food manufacturers are experts at making food that seems desirable to us. They, they know how to, to manipulate sugar and fat and salt, and they know how to find the bliss point um, that our bodies just are attracted to. So, so all of us probably can think of times when we just really wanted a particular kind of food. It's because our, our body 
is attracted these these particular levels that may not necessarily be the healthiest for us, mm-hmm. but has almost an addictive potential, almost like our, our bodies are attracted to alcohol or nicotine in ways that, that aren't necessarily healthy for us. Well, you have identified a real issue, a real problem here, because when you walk into a grocery store, you are not going to find a lot of fresh stuff in the produce section, maybe, but most of the food available to us in our grocery stores at our markets are highly processed foods, and we've identified that this can be a cause in diabetes. It can be a cause in obesity and heart disease and other things. This processed food problem is is here, and we need to do something about it. And when we come back, we'll take a short break now. When we come back, Dr. Dysinger has some practical ideas for us to use in dealing with this epidemic and also how we can use some rather unusual, unusual lifestyle structures to deal with the problems that we are facing as a community, as a family, and as individuals. So stay right where you are. In my life, I've lost a thousand pounds. I like to tell people I always find them again, too. Uh, I've struggled throughout my life with my weight. I've always been heavy. It's important to me that you know I stick around to see my grandchildren live a healthy life and life expectancy. And I've lived a very long time, very luckily. You know, I, I'm one of the typical examples of what you call uh, living by luck, not by choice. Through the CHIP program, I have learned how to be a smarter shopper. I spend time at the grocery store reading labels and comparing products as to which things are my healthiest choices. I learned how well nutrition can reverse many of the diseases that we have in our country. One of my blood pressure medicines uh, reduced by 50%. I expect uh, when I go back to the doctor, there will be even a further reduction. I've lost 47 pounds since I started. You know, I lost a lesser amount of weight during the first 40 days, but I've continued on since the CHIP program. But during the program itself, my biggest uh, drop was in my cholesterol level. My cholesterol level was 205 before it was 154 after. My triglycerides went down. You know, my blood pressure stayed the same. Uh, all my other factors went down. I think it's honestly helped our relationship. And it's more exciting to when we're walking around the track, we're talking and we're asking about our day, whereas we would have been sitting on a couch and like eating and watching Netflix or watching a movie together. So it's definitely, I think, brought our relationship stronger and, and in a more healthy way in numerous, I think, avenues. The biggest thing with Chip is that it's, it's a lifestyle that you can sustain because it's something you don't have to measure. You just do. We're not waiting till we're 60 and getting a stint in our heart, being diagnosed with some kind of high blood pressure or high cholesterol. We're trying to do this as a preventative thing, so we're choosing to be healthy, not waiting for a prescription. It's a lifestyle, it's not a diet. It's a way of living to be healthy, happy, and productive. Ready to make some changes in your life? Visit chiphealth.com. It's never too late to begin living the healthy life. chiphealth.com. Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Charles Mills. We're here with Dr. Wayne Dysinger. He's at Loma Linda University, and he's medical director of the Complete Health Improvement Program. That's part of his job description. He's a busy man, and we're so glad that we have him here with us today. We're talking about diabetes, Dr. Dysinger, and as well as other chronic diseases, and you have identified refined foods as maybe a leading cause for this. 
what can we do? When we walk into a grocery store and most of the food choices we see laid out in front of us and all those pretty packages are highly processed foods, what can we do to guard ourselves from these chronic diseases, including diabetes, that is just waiting for us at our dinner table when we go home with our purchases? It's a great question. And, and you know, I think there's a series of things that we can do as individuals, and I'd like to talk about those, those more. But I, I think I'll start off by saying there's probably things that we need to do as a society mm. to deal with this. Um, we got here not because of anybody saying we want to addict people to, to sugar and fat and salt, but, but we as a society have gradually made choices over the last several decades that have encouraged the food industry to make more and more foods that, that are partly from chemicals and, and partly from food that's been processed in, in dramatic ways. Uh-huh. So I, I really believe that we need to change this obesogenic, this diabetogenic environment that we're in. We, we've created a food environment that, that really is not conducive to health in many, many aspects. Uh, and I, I think that actually involves probably uh, doing little things by, by each of us in our communities, you know, asking, asking our grocery stores to make whole food uh, less expensive and processed food more expensive uh, by by putting local level taxes on it, or you know encouraging farmers markets and and discouraging convenience stores. And there's a there's a variety of local things that we need to be doing from a cultural society perspective to make the healthy choice the easy choice and the unhealthy choice the more expensive or or less easy choice. So I think there's a lot of societal things um, that that. We as individuals, we don't change society unless a bunch of individuals work on that. And, and we saw that certainly in the cigarette industry. We, we have changed our culture's uh, approach to cigarettes now compared to 50 years ago. We need to do some of those same things in the food industry. You know, I have seen what you're talking about in action, even in my small village here where I live in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. There is definitely a a farmer's market society and culture developing that wasn't here before. Even our grocery store is expanding their their produce section and their whole food section. And I always ask, can we have more bulk food? Can we have more food as grown? And they respond. So what you're saying is absolutely true. We do have a voice, and what we say does have an impact. So I invite our listeners to to follow your advice and to to make your voice be heard. Write an editorial in the newspaper. Uh, Talk to your grocer there. Talk to your, your stores and just start all these things because it will happen. How about from the government standpoint? We have government-subsidized processed foods all over the place here, Dr. Deisinger. Is there anything we can do on the national level to help in this problem? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's a, it's a great example of what you're doing locally there in, in Berkeley Springs. Uh-huh. There, there are national things that can be done, but as I've thought about this problem and as I've looked at this problem, generally national movements start with local movements. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to give you an example of something that we've done here locally in in the town I live in, in Loma Linda, California, is is we we had a new fast food restaurant coming into town. Yes. yes. And and we weren't excited about it because we know that fast food, the towns that have more fast food restaurants tend to have higher obesity rates, and and towns that have less fast food restaurants tend to have lower obesity rates. Mm -hmm. 
so we wanted to change that. And what we learned is that we didn't really have a lot of power to change that. So that fast food restaurant came into town. But we also learned that we could write an ordinance that would change that. So now the city of Loma Linda has an ordinance that bans any further what we've called uh, drive-through formula-based restaurants, which, huh. which basically eliminates your McDonald's and your, your Burger Kings and, and your, your typical fast food restaurant chain. So we weren't able to stop that one from coming in, but we have stopped multiple others from coming in. Well, if, if we as a society did little things like that in communities across the country, all of a sudden it would grow. The yes. waves would grow. And, and we, I mean, New York tried to do that by putting a ban on trans fats, and, and that actual movement has grown. So I think little community things that then one community says, oh, that's a good idea, we're going to follow that, and then all of a sudden you have a whole county or a whole state uh, making those kind of laws, and then uh, all of a sudden on a national basis uh, you decide to make those laws. That's certainly what's happened with, with smoking cessation, again, as an example. Uh, local communities would say no, no smoking in our restaurants, and then gradually evolves, or, or individual airline companies would say no smoking on our airlines and then gradually it would evolve to a, a larger law. So I think it's good to start start locally yeah, yeah, and continue the stories like you're sharing there in Berkeley Springs. Well, that is fantastic and that is good news and I hope that motivates some of our listeners. One of the things you said in your presentation in Arizona, I want, to sh- I want you to share with our listeners, you said that there is a, you, you mentioned balance, there is a way of balancing our energy through rest and renewal. And you said it was a core lifestyle medicine principle. What did you mean by that? Share with our listeners what your thoughts are on that idea. What we know is that the healthiest people, the the most productive people, Uh uh, are people that know how to push themselves hard and know how to give themselves a time for rest and renewal. Mm -hmm. And this is true perhaps most objectively in in the physical component of our lives. So if if you look at an elite athlete, an Olympic-level athlete, uh, that person will train very, very hard, and then they will give themselves a time of rest and and renewal, um, and then they'll train hard again. And in fact, I've had a chance to to do some athletic events myself. And if you look at training for those, you build yourself up and then you you back off a little bit and then you build yourself up some more and then you back off a little bit and then you build yourself up. And and that's how you do the best with your physical body. Uh We can look at, at sleep as an example for that. If you push yourself too hard and don't get enough sleep, you actually decrease health. We know that people who sleep seven to eight hours per night tend to live longer lives than those people who get less sleep than that. Mm-hmm. So, so we know that in the physical realm, what we're also learning is that same approach works in the emotional realm, the mental realm, and the spiritual realm. So challenging yourself emotionally and then giving yourself time to reflect on that, either alone or, or with other people. Challenging yourself mentally and then giving your, uh, yourself uh, some downtime where you're where you're resting your mind um, and challenging yourself spiritually uh, so that, that you, you test your connections uh, with God and your, your own spiritual walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then stopping and reflecting on that and giving yourself some downtime, that tends to be how we grow and, and how we 
maintain uh, the, the most resilience um, as far as our different components of our lives. It sounds like you're talking strengthening here. You're strengthening your mind, your body, and when we fight any disease, including diabetes, including heart disease, it is that kind of energy that we need to bring to the battle because these are debilitating diseases. We have them. They're here. They're at epidemic levels. I'm trying to show our listeners, share with our listeners that there are things that we can do, and that is a change of diet, that is a, a bringing rest and renewal into your, into your mind, becoming involved in the community and trying to bring health to more people other than yourself. These are all very essential elements of gaining and maintaining optimum health. As medical director of the Complete Health Improvement Program, how are you using Chip, how are you using Chip in your work there at Loma Linda and in your training of of people at the College of Lifestyle Medicine? How are you bringing these principles to life so that these principles can be spread not only in the community of Loma Linda, not only in the state of California, but around the world? How are you using Chip to make that happen? It's a great question. You know, I could go on and on uh, <laughs> about that for far longer than we have time on this particular segment of, of this radio program, but I'll just throw out a, a concept, which is the 100,000-mile warranty concept. Mm. A, a few years back, uh, some of the Korean car companies uh, said, we're going to try to show people that we really are convinced that our car company is good by giving them a 100,000-mile warranty. Um, we don't tend to do that in, in healthcare. We tend to um, fix someone and send them home, and then when they get sick again, we try to fix them again, and, then, and they, there, there tends to be this recurrent cycle. And, and what we're trying to say is if we can, can get CHIP out, not only here at Loma Linda, but across the country, across the world, really, we can give at some level a 100,000-mile warranty because CHIP is, in fact, giving people the opportunity to change their life in a way that the diseases that they're dealing with don't need to happen at the level that they're happening. In fact, they can be, in many cases, reversed. So the 100,000-mile warranty, a CHIP is at some level the 100,000-mile warranty for our bodies. I like that a lot. Now, of course, you're involved with the American Medical Association is this message that you just told us, that you just said here on the air, is this happening at that level? Is the American Medical Association beginning to take notice of lifestyle medicine issues and trying to do something about it? Yes, in fact, it is. Uh, just last summer, um, the American Medical Association adopted a motion that basically said lifestyle medicine is the first approach to disease prevention and in many cases, treatment. Wow, wow. So this is something that the American Medical Association has recognized and has, has codified in its uh, premises that, that this is the way we should be going. Now, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to implement that across yes. uh, the spectrum of how we deliver health care here in the United States. But, mm-hmm. but we're making progress. Uh, we've got a long, long ways to go, but we're making progress. A lot of energy around the concept of lifestyle medicine and just approaching uh, disease uh, from a natural perspective that, that wasn't there just a few years ago. Oh, that is good news. That is good news. Dr. Wayne Dysinger, Loma Linda University. He's also the medical director of the Complete Health Improvement Program. 
Dr. Dysinger, thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule talking to us about these important issues. I know that some people listening to the program today will be changed by what you're saying and motivated to go to a CHIP program or to at least make some of these changes at home that you mentioned. Thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Uh, Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And until next time, listener, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Wayne Dysinger inviting you to become healthy by choice. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about Healthy by Choice, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651. You can also email us through our website at 3abn.org.